This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 2, Disengage. The people who dislike me are, are gamblers, low-level gangsters, the fathers of daughters everywhere, not vigilante bounty hunters willing to pick a fight with the Federation. Oh, a lovely self-pardon, but we both know that Beverly would never permit this. Who do you think taught me all this? When she's not behind me kicking my ass, she's right beside me. Equal partners, trying to do some good in a goodless, imperfect universe. That's how I know you're lying. Well, because you know her so well. When was the last time you even spoke to my mother? Back, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, this is TV Podcast Industries, and we're here to talk about Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 2, Disengage. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out this group of Red Alert podcasters, I am Chris. Red Alert. This was a good episode, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, and shockingly, yes. <laughs> yes, it really was. Yeah. It was good. Lots of fun, lots of excitement. Good to see old Captain Vadic, actually. Mm-hmm. I was expecting her to uh, stand up on the chair and go, if any one of you mother effers from uh, Pulp Fiction. Yes, yes, move. Yeah, I yes. think you missed one one word. I was waiting for you to finish the full. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. He, he, he ellipses it, okay? He's, he, he allows our imaginations to fill yes. it in. Yes, yes, exactly. Amanda Plummer. Amanda Plummer, uh, yes, indeed. In, in, uh, in this episode. Yes, of course, we're going to be talking spoiler-filled detail of uh, Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 2, Disengage. Go watch the episode if you haven't watched it yet before John spoils anything more. Well, uh, that's true, but, that's true. But we will, of course, be spoiling it in our podcast right here. Yes, uh, but before we get into our spoiler-filled discussion, head on over to our new website at mm-hmm. tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe to any Federation or Romulan supporting podcast player of your choice. Mm -hmm. And a big shout out to our patron supporters um, who have helped contribute towards our new revamp of the website and the back end of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks really good. Thank you so much to all of you that that have been supporting us over the last nine years of podcasting. Nine years, guys. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a decade. I, yeah. That's coming. And I don't feel a day over 41 years. It is oh actually my. our ninth anniversary in uh, in February, just by the way. So sorry, just to be really clear. It's that just gone our ninth uh, yeah. anniversary. So We're in uh, our 10th year. All right. All right. Yeah, we can keep moving up the years if you want to. But wow. we do want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your feedback. Please make sure you email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, from now on, for Star Trek Picard, we'll be recording a little bit later. We're recording after the episodes come out, basically. So we'll be recording either on Friday evenings or on Saturday. So you have a bit of time to watch the episode, getting your thoughts about Star Trek Picard. But that's not the only show we're covering. We're we're also covering The Last of Us on HBO and Sky Atlantic, uh, or now TV in Europe. Um, so if you're watching that show, listen to our podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com and send your feedback for that. And we're also 
talking about Star Wars The Bad Batch every week. So we're talking about Star Wars Star Trek, the biggest HBO show at the moment. And finally, of course, you got to throw in one more there. We're also talking about Marvel because we went to the cinema last week and discussed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania uh, as well. The 31st MCU movie, because we've talked about every Marvel movie, I think, at this stage. Yes. Uh, and every Marvel TV have. show. So uh, lots and lots of content there, all available, all split out really well on the website and tvpodcastindustries.com. So you can check all of those out. Excellent stuff. Mm. Get those ears attuned, fellow yes. Trekkies and Trekkers. But Derek, what are some of the episode details for episode two, Disengage? Well, of course, the show is based on characters created by Gene Roddenberry. The executive <laughs> producers for the show are Akiva Gilsman, Michael Shabon, <laughs> Alex Kurtzman and Christian Baer. <laughs> This episode was written by Christopher Monfett and Sean Tretta. Christopher wrote three episodes of Picard Season 2, and this is his first of two episodes for Season 3 as well. Uh, Sean Tretta is a co-executive producer on the show and worked on 12 Monkeys with Terry Matalas as well. I know Terry uh, likes to work uh, with the same team on lots of his shows. So, 12 Monkeys the show or 12 Monkeys the film? 12 Monkeys the show. The 12, show, 12 yeah. Monkeys the, uh, the the movie by Terry Gilliam. Ah, yes. It's another Terry. Different Terry. Yes, yes. All the Terrys are the same to me. But the show, of course, was based on that movie, which was based on another book. So, uh, yeah. So there are various different different versions of it. Uh, but this ah, was so it's like the show. Terry. The, this Terry was based <laughs> yes. on the other Terry, which was based on <laughs> the Terry cascading effect. There you go. There you go. But Sean, of course, worked there on the, on the 12 Monkeys TV show and here now on Picard, the final season as well. So good, a good reunion for him. Yeah, absolutely. And this episode was directed by Doug Arniakoski, who, of course, directed episode one of Star Trek Picard as well. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Star Trek Picard season three, episode two, Disengage? Sure. Two weeks ago, Jack Crusher was under investigation from the Fenris Rangers. After paying them off with weapons, they secretly reported Jack's whereabouts to an unknown third party. Since then, he's been on the run, system to system, all the time with greater threats on his tail. But none greater than the ship that has caught up to him, Jean-Luc Picard, and Will Riker on his ship, the Elios. While some quick thinking from Jean-Luc prevents them from transporting Jack off the Elios, they are left in a dangerous stalemate. But the ship's commander, Captain Vadic, is unwilling to let her prey go, and tries to forcibly capture their vessel using her ship's tractor beam. Elsewhere... As Raffi keeps digging into the attack on the Federation's outpost on Metallus Prime, she is given an impossible choice by her ex-husband to either know the location of her son Gabe or the location of a low-life Ferengi dealer called Sneed. Meeting Sneed, attempting to find out the identity of who was really behind the attack on the Federation, she must convince him that she is not Starfleet. But with her cover blown, she is rescued by her handler, Worf. Back on the USS Titan, Captain Liam Shaw is still stewing about the perceived betrayal of Commander Annika Hansen. But against his better judgment, he takes her advice as he captains the Titan to rescue the legendary Federation heroes, breaking the tractor beam locked on the Elios and transporting Picard and Riker aboard, along with Jack to the brig and his mother, Dr. Beverly Crusher, to the sickbay. But he quickly regrets his decision as Captain Vadic actually throws the Elias at them as if it was nothing and realises Vadic's ship, the Shrike, is significantly more armed than the Titan. While the Titan is relatively undamaged, Vadic gives them one hour to hand over the fugitive Jack Crusher. 
As the hour passes, Shaw learns that Jack is wanted on many charges, and despite giving Picard and Riker time to defend his right to stay aboard, he agrees to hand him over. But when Dr. Beverly Crusher recovers from her injuries to reunite with Jean-Luc, he quickly realises that Jack is his son, and persuades Shaw not to hand him over to Vadik, who then plots a course into the nebula to evade Vadik's ship. Aboard the Shrike, Captain Vadik is delighted by the chase, knowing that she can use all her toys against the Starfleet vessel. Oh yes. Always good ending an episode with the laughter of your villain as they're excited by the chase, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> the cackle almost. Yes. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, good fun. Good fun. Although, not if you're aboard the Titan. <laughs> I guess. Titan absolutely. <laughs> the hunter becomes the hunted. Exactly. But let us get into our main points. Our make it so number one, our omega directive, our medium point and then our prime directive, which is our big moment from the episode. Yeah. Yes. So, on to our first point. Make it so, number one. Chris, would you like to, uh, dare I say it, kick us off on this one? I can, Captain Picard. Um, <laughs> Make it I'll so. Jump in. I'll jump in with uh, a, a Jack, Jack Crusher, um, mm-hmm. and just basically this, this very nice opening with the, the, the Fenris Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Alec Hansen's former charge. She used to work for yeah. Fenris Rangers, right? She certainly did. Yes. I, I enjoyed this. I, like that you do get the initial feeling. The whole thing is it's a, it's you get to see what I suppose could be kind of Jack's skills. Yeah. That like he's kind of he he arrives there, he's a doctor, he knows all the things, he's essentially you see him almost explaining that like he fights for the side of good. He's almost like the Red Cross. He's mm-hmm. a doctor without borders. Yes. Type doctor. Like he doesn't care that these cartels and they're kind of using a kind of disease to strangle hold the population. Hmm. He's going to save people. He has a Hippocratic oath type thing. Yeah, absolutely. When in fact he's a cheeky chappy, cheeky chappy. <laughs> yes. He uses his cheeky get... chappy abilities yes. uh, quite yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. Like you see him kind of start kind of talking about that kind of that suave debonair cheeky chappy mm-hmm. type of kind of talk to anything and talk to sell ice to the Eskimo. Um and essentially goes and manages to bribe the Fenris Rangers mm-hmm. to theoretically get down and save um th- these people on the planet. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is cool. We start to see more about Jack. We see kind of how he is. Mm-hmm. And the line, in terms of why I'm so intrigued by this, was that tell such and such we found them. Essentially, it's the Fenris Ranger as they're carrying away the guns, talk and say to someone on comms, we found them. Yes, exactly. Yes, Um I'm not sure whether we know who that is by the end of the episode. And we, of course, have our, our big villain here in Captain Vadic. Uh, but 
is he just calling out to Gap and Valak or not? Um, we hear the explanation from Jack that he's been on the run from that point onwards. That was two weeks before the arrival of Picard and Riker to his ship. Um, yeah. And he's been on the run and been consistently challenged by greater and greater foes. People from Starfleet have been there. Uh, other people have been following yeah. him. And it's getting more and more dangerous. But nothing has been as big as this challenge they have right no. now, exactly as you said in the synopsis, John, uh, with the Shrike arriving. So uh, is this the final big bad or is there another big bad out there, I guess? You know, are they, how have they been building up and how have they been following? Well, is it uh, like Jack? a Russian doll of well, you yeah. know, big bads? <laughs> yeah. Except they're really small because they're the middle ones. Like, <laughs> do you remember those aliens from MIB, Men in Black? Yeah. Or yeah. the one inside the people just controlling people? There you go. That's a, that's essentially what we've got here. <laughs> Effectively. It's a little grey alien. Yeah. I just thought, look, I, this is a very small, tiny, tiny piece. Exactly. I just thought it was very fun. Yeah. I do enjoy the cheeky chappy version of Jack. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, me too. It's that kind of... We don't often get a character like this in Star Trek. I think we've got one in Discovery kind of about two seasons ago where it's that kind of... He plays by his own rules, Mm. but he's, he's there to get the job done and... but doing it for the greater good exactly and that yeah. and that's probably the big benefit here with jack or the big thing about jack here he's doing it at least the way we're hearing the story anyway is that he is on missions to save people he will do anything if it's a law that's in his way he'll break that law if it's uh if it's somebody that needs bribing he'll bribe them he'll do anything he can because above all else it's saving the lives of the people that he can save with yeah. his skills of course trained into him by his mother so, yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Derek, what about yourself? Mine's also on Jack, because uh, I love the jibing throughout the episode from uh, from Riker to uh, Jean-Luc. Uh, we mentioned it last week, the um, <laughs> the uh, amazing uh, British accent that Jack had uh, indicated that he may uh, have a connection to our own Jean-Luc Picard, the French man with an English accent. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we do hear that uh, there is a connection here between the two of them, but before we get the final confirmation throughout the episode, Riker's going, there's something about him that I just can't place. Do you not see it, John Luke? <laughs> I really liked it because it kind of gives Riker one over on his own, on his former captain, uh, which I just think is always fun in their relationship when yeah. they can, when they can jive back and forth. But, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my favorite, uh, lines throughout the episode is, uh, is Riker just winding up Jean-Luc. But Jean-Luc doesn't seem to be taking the bait at all on these. Um, But Riker's definitely enjoying himself, which is always good to see. Definitely. There you go. How about yourself, John? What's your your, uh, top favourite line from the episode, favourite moment from the episode? Um, It's Vadik's description of her ship, the Mm. Shrike. Um, I just really liked it because um, just describing this bird of prey, um, which is you know, thoughtful, considerate, will wait, uh, is very efficient at um, getting its prey mm-hmm. um, based on a carrion bird on your home world, as she describes to Jean-Luc uh, mm-hmm. on Earth. And interestingly, the reason why I thought it was a really good name for a ship, and I love the description, is the other name for this bird is the butcher bird because it takes its prey and hangs it on thorns. Ooh. Um, as well. Oh, so, uh, it's, yeah, and it's only about the size of kind of, uh, even though it's a carrion bird, so it's clever, like, uh, sort of magpie or, mm-hmm. or, or raven. Um, it's, it's kind of like 
sparrow size. Oh, right. It, like it's only it's quite small. You'll never see it coming. Exactly. Yes. Oof. So uh yeah, I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly given the glee that Captain Vadic has as mm. the Titan makes its way to the nebula. Yeah. Um you can see that she's going to uh use that um you know that philosophy I guess of uh, the, the bird that she's named her ship after. So I just yeah. thought it was really cool. It, it made it feel really menacing. I like it. If oh, it didn't look menacing yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> with, with its pointy things. And it's hard to place, you know, in the past we would have had villains on the show that are a particular species, specific, particular, uh, aliens that are out there, you know, and just this call out to a bird of prey and, um, even, even the name of Captain Vadic makes me think of Romulans again. Romulans have been a, uh, a central villain. Uh, in throughout the Picard history, anyway, so um, of of this these three seasons, so I, I am wondering, is there is there uh, where's where's Attic from? That's what I'm wondering. We know she's not from Earth because she calls out from your home world, so she's obviously not from yeah. Earth. But uh, I well, wonder where it. she's from. As I say, the the ship does look like that uh, Shinzon mm. um, ship. So from with, from Star Trek Insurrection, yeah, yeah, from Insurrection. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's similar. Uh, and he was Romulan. Yeah. That's right. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. He was a clone of Picard. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Could be something like that. Good stuff. I guess that's our favorite lines from the episode. Yeah, I think so. Let us move on to our medium moment of the episode, the Omega Directive. Implement the Omega Directive immediately. Yes. Our favorite scenes from the episode, I think. Um, John, do you want to kick us off with your favorite scenes? Sure. Why not? My medium moment here is. Two medium moments, really, and it, it's it's all around. Well, Shaw is not that bad after all, mm. you know, or ill is he? You know, um, I love the fact that he kind of, despite the fact that he's effectively um, sent Seven of Nine to her quarters mm-hmm. um, and stripped yeah. her of command, that he, whether it's his own gratification or whether you know. He he know it is self preservation, but it ultimately leads to him uh going and sending the Titan to rescue um Picard and Riker. Mm-hmm. Because they can see from the Titan that another ship has entered into the nebula. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love the fact that um Seven of Nine convinces uh Shaw to go after them by saying you know, are you going to be the hero who saves heroes mm-hmm. or be remembered as the captain who let two legends die? That and is so, a great argument yeah, from Seven. Really yep. good. Uh, because effectively, she's ultimately been uh, disciplined at this stage. Mm-hmm. He has no reason to listen to her. He's been fairly no. clear. And yet, um, he, he relents with the persuasion of, or, or the argument. Um, that uh, Seven of Nine makes here, primarily for self-preservation, because, yeah, he would be uh, infamous uh, for for that. Absolutely. You know, across the Federation. What, so you I, mean you were just outside with a full, <laughs> a full starship and exactly. you decided not to save these two people? Exactly. It's against the rules. Now, well, did you not learn anything from the adventures of Riker and Picard? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I, I kind of really like that. And then... And the other one is him relenting again, uh, I think a bit more um, out of just genuine goodwill mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to Picard um, after Picard has learnt his relationship with 
Jack Crusher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, he, he goes like ultimately to hell with it anyway. But after this, it's on you, you know, yeah. as he plots the, the route into the nebula for Titan after firing a few cheeky chappy, uh, blasters <laughs> at, at, at the shrike. I don't think you're using that the way. No, it's not the right way, no, but I just thought it, well, cheeky. It sounded okay. good. Yeah. Cheeky blaster a shots. Cheeky blaster a few, shots. a few yeah. cheeky shots let off. You know, hoping to maybe do some kind of damage, but nothing. So yeah. I, I kind of like that. It's, it's this unwilling passenger who mm. happens to also be the commander of the ship. And well, I kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. I do like the 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 way that he protests against it is totally understandable. He's effectively saying, I'm not going to sacrifice the 500 souls aboard this ship just yeah. for these two people. They've lived their life. They've had great adventures. One's retired, one's no longer a captain or no no longer has a seat. They've gone off and chosen to do this. If they die, they've got great stories to tell for generations about them. But, of course, as I say, as as you say, the scene of uh, of Seven uh, telling the argument, if you do let them die, then the end of that story is everybody says, and that's the guy that did it. That's the guy that ended their adventures. So uh, a great great scene between the two of them. So convincing him, yeah. And in relenting to Picard in the captain's seat, you know, it's everything that that hour that they've been given, Mm -hmm. it's everything in, in that moment that is where he has done a complete 180 yeah. from he's going to get sent over to to hell with it yeah. you know and i think that comes from a more genuine spot absolutely um compared to maybe why he went into the nebula in the first place he probably yeah. thought it was just a smaller ship or one that he could compete with exactly um but i, I do like the fact that he regrets that once he arrives mm-hmm. and certainly with all the the comedic list of all the weapons as Vadic lowers her her shield so yeah. that they can actually scan it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Including an unknown weapon. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wonder. Well, yes. Could that have been the one that was used on uh, on Madeless Prime? Mm, yeah, I wonder. Maybe. Potentially. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Really? My God. Chris. My God. <laughs> I, like, my brain, I just went, oh, yeah. Could be. It yeah. could be. Yeah, could it could be. be. Nobody had ever seen a weapon of that power before, and now there's a ship with an unknown, very powerful weapon on it. Or it could be like when the A-team used to do their final kind of bit of weaponage to get yeah. themselves out of the sticky situation. It could just be like a... Explosive ice cream van. It's like 12 quantum tu- torpedoes or photon torpedoes strapped together with a bit of duct tape. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Yeah. surprise! In, in a Romulan ice cream van. And if they go. have ice cream vans. <laughs> so it I, doesn't look threatening. <laughs> I like I like your first guess more than your second guess, yes. John. Um, I Me do too. like your your favourite moment, though. That's a good, uh, a good scene uh, from the episode. How about you, Chris? What's your favourite scene from the episode? Your Omega Directive. So mine is very much the oh yeah we forget people are old in this show. Oh. Um, it's it's the transporter <laughs> issue <laughs> where <laughs> where essentially we have Picard running around this room in the Elias the ship, Casey placing these little things basically and he like give Jack on what are you doing? Oh mm-hmm. I'm trying to basically disrupt them from doing. Oh, that thing. Yes. Then I'm trying to disrupt them from transporting us out. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh yeah. And then basically the Titan tries to call, get them. 
and it's not working. And uh, oh god, oh sorry. Remember that thing we did like sixty seconds ago? <laughs> Hold on, let me turn that off. And you're like, yeah, okay, I, I get it. In the in the moment, you forget these things, but mm-hmm. like. I, I literally did, I haven't done this in a while. I did the guy screaming at the TV screen moment <laughs> where I was watching this and I was like, the disruptor for the transporters. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah. Like, I was like, what the, come I, on. <laughs> as well, I think because of that, when he wasn't taking Riker's jibing, mm-hmm. I was just like, is it just because he can't see it? Like, <laughs> or is it he doesn't yeah. recognize, you know, I, I don't know. There was something about it that felt like he should have been, dare I say, engaged with uh, with Riker on that point, given the, what he's insinuating to him. But he I, didn't, leave, and I was yeah. kind of like, oh, "Okay." I'll leave my answer to that for for my uh, my prime directive, my major moment. Okay. So I want to talk about that a little bit uh, at the end uh, of of our of our discussion. Um, but he's not w- bald, is he? So I guess <laughs> <laughs> let's let's shave him first. Anyway, uh, oh, I know who you are now. <laughs> yeah. So look, this for me was just a funny moment, but it just mm-hmm. also was quite frustrating. And I'm like, okay, I think this was done to kind of ratchet up the tension slightly that the transporter's not working. Oh God, yes, that thing. Right. Versus. He's old. He forgets things. Yeah. Uh, and it's just in the moment they forgot. I am going to give Picard a pass here because they didn't expect the Titan to come in. They had no idea the Titan was going to come in. The Titan yes. starts trying to beam them off, and that's when they got in contact with them. And then Picard did an absolutely amazing move by destroying all of the uh, the dampeners that were around the ship. He took out his phaser and took out each one without missing once. That's awesome move. So uh, I'm I'm going to give him a total pass on this. It's a funny moment, but uh, but he did an amazing move, and I can understand yes. more so he didn't expect the type to come in and beam them off. Ah, Derek, of course, you're right again. There you go. <laughs> Once I, I, every I, one I year. I before the fun, fun Spoiling the off fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, look, it did get me that kind of moment. I got fully engaged in the uh, scene because I was like, come on, the things. Exactly. Come on, uh, you can do it. Yes. Well, no, more like, come on, those things are stopping them. Please. Ah, there you go. You've done it grand. Exactly. And you do. You get a very cool, basically, Patrick Stewart spinning in the spot, shooting his pew pew. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fun. But anyway, that's that's my favorite scene. Excellent. Derek, what about you? What's your Omega directive? Well, speaking of spoiling your fun, um, my favorite moment from the episode, my favorite scene from the episode um, is Rafi's choice. Um, Rafi has a very different story going on in this episode. Um, she's now got that commitment that we've seen Rafi have before she's on a proper mission that she's given to herself uh in this yeah. episode um she's fighting back against the handler that won't let her uh won't meet up with her that won't um give her direction telling her to stand down she's seen people killed on uh, Metallus Prime um in the at the end of the last episode and now she wants to go and resolve this mission and it gets a great uh it gets a great moment here with Rafi Musker where she seeks out her ex-husband Jay to get contact with the Ferengi that supplied the um the Romulan who potentially at least the the press are saying that he's the cause of the attack that she had so she effectively has to go to someone that doesn't trust her doesn't doesn't particularly like uh, her committing her life to her missions and tell him one more time 
if you give me help, I might be able to resolve this mission. So um, I think it's a really good scene. I think once again, uh, Michelle Hurd playing a great role yeah, here. Definitely. Um, but the choice itself that Jay gives her is absolutely unconscionable. It's he's, outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. I would have slapped him. Yeah, he's he's simply saying to her, you either choose the ability to see your son again, who has had to go through these points with you over your entire life, had, had to have you run away and say you're on a mission with Jean-Luc or, or you're on another personal mission. You can either see your son or you can get this information and that leads you to, uh, to the Ferengi that will take you on and continue your mission. And we see later that Rafi's choice is to go on her mission. That is yeah. the priority for her. Once again, that is she will put her priority mission above everything else. Well, it's yeah, it's an mm. impossible choice. It is. And it's, uh, as I say, it's outrageous. Yeah. What a douchebag. I mean, I think yeah. you don't, as such, her and her son's relationship is complicated. Mm-hmm. And you say, but you don't make her have a choice between effectively what is her job and then her private life. Yeah. And it, you know, whether it, whether it's about, well, I'll check with Gabe to see if he wants to see you. You know, it's his choice, ultimately, not her ex-husband's. But Jay's effectively saying, I will only check with your son if he wants to see it, if you choose yeah. not to go He's after douche, the Frankie. Douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. Slap required. <laughs> Great scene, yeah. though. Yeah, really good scene. Great scene. I, I, I feel they're going to lean hard into the the addict aspect of Rafi again yeah. this season. Which Maybe. I think is good, um, actually. I like it, that. It was a, she's a flawed character. Like, yeah. And the addict version of the, her character is one that we don't see much of within um, Star Trek. Yeah. And like, it, like that flawed, seedy underbelly kind of... It's come up in a couple of episodes, but outside of Picard... I, I think there's more to it, and I think you're, you've, you've almost hit it. I think they're absolutely going to be dealing with her addicted personality. Yes. I don't think they're going to go anywhere near addiction and drugs and, and alcohol again this season. If they do, that feels like they're almost turning her back into a two-dimensional character. I feel like in Star Trek, we've always had these characters who are really driven. They're more career oriented than everybody else because they don't have to deal with money. They don't get paid for their jobs. They do what they love and they do, they work harder than anybody else works. And here with Rafi, you have somebody that works harder than everybody else works because she's addicted to that role and addicted to that job. So, um, she fell on hard times. Her family all left her and she turned to drugs because. Well, she well, she ended off leaving Starfleet, Starfleet and didn't have that drive. So I think they will lean into that, how driven she is to yeah. get the job done. And that's a negative in her character. Whereas a lot of other characters that we've seen across all the Star Trek, if they're really driven to get the job done, that's always a positive. So I think they will deal with that with Rafi. I think they will, like you say, play on that addiction of her drive and her being an, ad- an addict for work, being having addictive personality. Yeah, I think they may put in that she becomes so pressured that she she feels the need, or she she struggles with not going back on it because she she needs it. Mm. Kind of, just something, just because they're leaning, because they give her this Sophie's choice, right? Her 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 mission or her son, her yeah. family or her, like they're they're throwing like that. That's a potential uh, Sophie's choice for like episode five. And they're giving it a right now, so it only tells me that 
we're going to get at least one or two bigger choices for her as a major character being one of the main characters of that has come all the way from season one. Mm. Um, they'll put that like later on the season. Personally, I hope not. I hope that hope by the end of the season, we have Rafi back to as strong a, uh, a number one, a first commander that she was. Um, I think that would be really good. Pre-season one. Yeah. I think that would yeah. be really good. But at the same time, I think what I really like about Rafi's character is that actually her career progression in Starfleet has not been like you see literally with every other commander. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's just so smooth sailing. I mean, Starfleet <laughs> in, in fairness must have the best HR and, and career path. And I guess it's the military. <laughs> it is kind of militaristic yeah. in, in terms of. The, Scientific the, and exploration. No, job. exactly, but it, it it's, with a military it, wing. It's yeah. structured in, in that way. Yeah. Whereas I've always enjoyed Raffi because we saw her as being, you know, right hand person to Picard. Yep. Then at the start of season two, again, you know, she's doing more. She's involved. It feels like they've put her out of the way a yeah. bit here. Yeah. She's still with the espionage wing of of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of really enjoyed that. Yeah, And her journey's been so good since season one, exactly as you say, John, that hopefully we keep building on that uh, throughout the rest of the season. And now that she's met up with another major character, which I'm sure we'll get to in our major points uh, from the episode, um, hopefully it'll be a really exciting story as well. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And hopefully we get to see Christoph back uh, as a hologram in the back end as on the ship one day. Maybe, maybe. You never maybe. know. Just one. Just just for one quick. <laughs> you never know. It is it is nice that she has La Serena as her ship, though, isn't it? Yes. Kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah. So just give us options for even an Elnor hologram in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe. That would be cool, actually. Yep. Get him back somehow. Mm-hmm. Just for a quick scene, and then, bah, he's done. Definitely. <laughs> Right, I think with that we can move on to our prime directive, our big moment for uh, the episode. We must face the ramifications of the prime directive. I think you should take the first prime directive, John, I think. What was your major moment from the episode? Yeah, and mine's the, uh, I guess it's the attack on Titan, um, on the USS Titan. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but two elements to this. First of all, I thought it was absolutely horrendously cool uh, how the Titan <laughs> broke the tractor beam. It was um, cool. I thought that was really good, yeah. uh, to be honest. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. I, I was kind of thinking a more... In fact, the, the whole sort of engagement between the Shrike and the Titan I thought was going to be a bit more standard. So I certainly yeah. wasn't expecting... It, it to come in and use the disc disc part of of the ship to mm-hmm. just break that tractor beam, and yep. I was wondering whether it would. I guess it's too big, but would get caught up in it right. suddenly. It's but one no, of the panels it, it, rips off the top. Yeah, of it's, it's, just, it's too big. <laughs> uh-huh. But then the fact that uh, you have this move by Captain Vadic where she engages the tractor beam again on the Elios mm-hmm. to effectively slingshot it so cool. <laughs> through space yep. to <laughs> at, right at the Titan. Um, I thought it was just, like, awesome. I thought it was just something different. Absolutely. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I love Captain Shaw's reaction to that as well. He's just like, they just throw the ship at Yeah, exactly. But that's it. It was just, like, unbelievable. And I just like how it all played out. I mean, it. I think some of it's... 
pl- plating, the ship plating, uh, got taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily it wasn't a full frontal sort of collision for, uh, by that. So, yeah. and I think it also then just played into that moment I mentioned before with Captain Vadek effectively leaving herself defenseless mm-hmm. by yeah. lowering her shields for the Titan to then scan all the different types of weaponry mm-hmm. in terms of photon torpedoes and so on uh, that they have just to understand you know that kind of gameplay between the the two captains mm-hmm. to just so that he realizes they are a military ship theirs is an explorative ship yes with weapons but yes. with, with weapons yeah. but not decked out in the same way as you know this is a gunboat to a battleship yes, in a sense exactly. you know yeah yeah, we do even hear from Picard going. There has to be a way to negotiate, and then uh, and then they realise uh, she's willing to do anything yeah. uh, to get Jack. So, uh, but yeah, love love these these kind of tense standoff scenes uh, throughout the episode. I thought that was really good because it does feel like uh, Vadik is playing with her food. Effectively, she knows oh, yeah. she's yeah, way overpowered here. She can she can win. So, uh, I really like those scenes as well. Uh, and Shaw just going, I don't know what I've got myself into (laughs) but that's it i mean i have to say i really uh enjoy captain shaw here Mm -hmm. played by todd stashwick um i just i just think he's great i just love that the vibe that he brings to the captain of uh a federation ship Mm -hmm. because it is just kind of very it feels different uh, you know, I, I like it's irreverent to the past of Star Trek through what we saw in episode one. And yet here we see a little bit more of a softening of that uh, as well. And I think in this moment, just seeing the utter surprise and he seems very pragmatic. It's mm-hmm. like, OK, get him from the brig. You know, we're going to send him over. Yeah, he's a fugitive. And he says that quite early on, yeah. but give you know, in that hour. Picard and Riker persuade him that they should have some time to find out a bit more about actually why, what's the reason, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, um, yeah. it's the attack on the Titan. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Before it uh, sort of licks its wounds and runs off into the nebula. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. I love it, I love it. But, uh, Chris, uh, going to another part of the galaxy, what's your big moment? I, I'm going to stay ahead of the game. Um, I'm going to stay, uh, if you will, with a, a, a game of chess, mm. four-dimensional chess, um, uh, which includes a Ferengi, uh, a Rafi, and a Worf. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> or it should be 3D, I should say. This was fun. So I enjoyed this piece where Rafi is going to meet the Ferengi Sneeds, and mm-hmm. again, Ferengis are they're a fun they're a fun character, kind of like if they they always were. Yeah. Um. Ever since kind of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Or kind of well, actually from Next Generation. Next Generation. Yeah. But from Deep Space Nine, you kind of get the two the two Ferengi from there. Yeah. Um, we got to know Quark very well. Quark, uh, that was throughout the show. Yeah, definitely. Um. But just seeing them are always interesting, and then getting kind of Rafi's attempted i'm going to call it um uh kind of game of cat and mouse kind of 
being covert, mm-hmm. having to take the drugs, which yeah. goes really badly, mm-hmm. and then saved by her handler. Um, I will admit, I didn't think the handler would be Worf. Oh, really? I knew Worf was going to be in this show. They kind of had character art had leaked that already and trainers right. had leaked that. I didn't think Worf would be. I thought her actual handler would be someone else and as part of her investigation would meet um would meet um essentially Worf. Right, okay. So I was quite happy with this. Also seeing uh Worf go full Klingon on everyone in that room, mm-hmm. pretty fun. Absolutely. I'm really delighted about that because uh, all the rumors before the show was coming out was that Worf is a pacifist. He may well be uh, in the rest of the season, but uh, this didn't seem like the moves of a pacifist when he arrived. No. no. We had guests on our podcast last week on episode one that it could have been Worf that was communicating yeah. with uh, with Rafi. Um, yeah. So I wasn't surprised that it was him but I was surprised at his entrance, definitely. <laughs> what a way to enter enter a series. Yeah. I Again, I, I they, we assumed it was. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of an easy setup. Like, yeah. I, I thought they may hold him off for slightly something different. I know, like, it, it probably is him. It's going to be him. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think they'd go with it. Right. But, hey, it just proves once again the three of us are capable at some point to go into a writer's room and help out. <laughs> or are capable of sometimes guessing that the writer's yes, room may be right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey. We, we can agree what? with their choices in the script. That. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, John, what did you think? Yeah, no, I uh, I really love this uh, scene mm-hmm. between uh, Sneed and, and Rafi. Um, I, I, thought, I just thought it was so good. I mean, I even just... The drug taking being shown on yeah. Star in Trek, the eye. <laughs> yeah, and and with the eye, mm. uh, I love Sneed because uh, you always remember this from Quark. You know, the wily businessman. He's he's a wily dealer, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not trusting, suspecting that she's Starfleet. And I mean, her cover story is a good one. I was like, you know, how is she gonna get past this now? Mm-hmm. But uh, I I really liked her cover story. And even though he did have the the head of um, this low level Romulan terrorist uh, Lurak Toluco, mm-hmm. um, I was still there thinking, well, she still could have worked for him. <laughs> it's just she didn't she know didn't he know was. You he, took his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was in the back office. Yeah, you know, <laughs> doing all the arrangements uh, or something well, like she that. She was just so, off world. Yeah. So I I did think maybe jumped to the conclusion, but I liked it anyway, and I loved the entrance of Worf, and and I did like Sneed's little sort of his line when he pulls out uh, Toluco's head, which is you know got to tie up loose ends to protect the big fish. Mm. So you know the bigger fish being out there, whether it is Captain Vadic at this moment. Okay. Uh, you know? Yeah. So I, I just thought he was knows? referring to himself as the big fish. I've got to tie off loose ends to protect yeah. me. Um, I I uh, I took him out, basically. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that Sneed's taken the head of Toluca, the person that's been accused of this attack, and he's still got it on ice here, even though, effectively, yeah. I guess from the news, the Federation are looking for this guy. They've pinned the whole attack on him. Yeah. yeah. It's only because of 
but we we now know Worf. It's only because Worf told Raffi that Sneed's the one that informed uh, on Toluca, saying he was the one responsible. That that's why Raffi's there. But they're not looking for anybody else connected with this attack. The the reporters at least have said that this attack was done by Toluca. Toluca's yeah. now dead. His head is in the ice bucket yeah. of uh, of the Ferengi's um, the Ferengi bar of Sneed's bar. I think it's as well. It's a bit earlier on, isn't it? This is why. Uh, Raffi is suspicious anyway, even mm. before she goes to her handler is, you know, and why she wants to keep digging is because you've got a low level Romulan terrorist in, yeah. in Luroc with a low life Ferengi in Sneed as the informant um attack, you know, somehow an attack with an attack on a mid level Federation recruitment facility mm-hmm. yeah. using this stolen weapon. Um, from Daystrom Laboratories yeah. or uh, Institute. So it all seems way too low level mm-hmm. for the type of weapon that they've taken. Yeah. And so I, I really kind of like that from uh, Rafi as well and sort of propelling her to this moment, you mm-hmm. know. Add something extra to, uh, to Dr. Crusher's warning of don't trust anyone yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Potentially, because obviously Federation have got the wrong information and they're they're lying about it, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, why is that? That's interesting. But also, kind of bringing this back all the way to the the top, the head of the point. Worf. So Raffi's down. Worf comes in, beheading and destroying every aspect <laughs> yeah. of the Ferengi and his gang. Yeah. Um. So. A lot, a lot of that whole back backstory is kind of, well, not backstory. A lot of that whole point and the all the information they could have got, it's gone. Mm, yeah, and I'm like, cool. So Worf <laughs> is the inf- is the is her handler. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he's Federation kind of intelligence. Mm. Cool. Where do they go from here? <laughs> mm. And I'm looking forward to this because this is that kind of like almost pseudo spy aspect of the storyline yeah, that's going to exactly. be kind of hopefully threaded through is it section 31 will we get an appearance from Julian Bashir from Deep Space Nine in here somewhere is that who Worf's been working with oh, it'd be yeah. awesome absolutely love to see Bashir back uh, yeah. after his secretive work off with the with section 31 but um, but yeah that'd be really exciting I, I just wonder if Worf was like look if you walk in there you're going to get killed you walked in there, right, I'll help you, I'll save you. I have another thread of information that I've been following <laughs> up. I just didn't want you to follow up on it. Yeah. I have some something that we can work on here. So I, I hope that's where it's going. I hope they haven't just uh, dead-ended um, that uh, that attack on the uh, on the recruitment center. No, but they definitely dead-ended the Frankie. They certainly yeah. did. They certainly <laughs> did. But there you go. That's, that's my major plot moment. And I'm looking forward to see where it goes. Derek, what about yourself? To round it out? I will, yes, because we kind of danced around it, really, uh, again, uh, because it is a major moment uh, in the episode. Uh, My son. He's my son. Picard finally accepts that Jack is his son uh, after all of the ribbing from uh, from Riker. And the reason he does is because of a moment of contact with Dr. Beverly Crusher. The look that she gives him confirms that the suspicions are right. I love the scene. I think it's absolutely wonderfully played no lines at all from beverly crusher when she comes on board but the minute picard's in her presence he knows it to be true um when it happened i have no idea um 
I'm I'm intrigued how they'll explain it. Uh, there's an interesting um, absence of Dr. Beverly Crusher in the show. Uh, you're all fans of, of Next Generation. Uh, Beverly Crusher didn't appear in seasons two and season three of uh, of The Next Generation, right? So could it have been a, a moment between the two of them? She went off, gave birth to Jack, and now Jack is around 30 now? Or could it have been and never mentioned it to Jean-Luc? Which would be weird. Which would be odd, I guess. It would be odd, but maybe that's something that happened. Or is it post the end of The Next Generation 20 years ago when Beverly Crusher ran away and didn't didn't get in contact with anybody from that point onwards? Um, Those are the two points I'm I'm suspecting, (laughs) one or the other. I I think they're trying to go that Jack's the the 20-ish. I think mm. they're trying to, even though the actor is not twenty-ish, thirty-five, uh, I think. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I think they're going for that whole thing because they've kind of hammered home that she disappeared for twenty years and didn't speak to anyone, mm. and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Could it have been um, that her ten-year-old son got into trouble and she went off to help him out? You know, yeah, could, could no longer could, hide him, something like that. Could be many, many things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the, the only thing, the only reason I think potentially the leaning towards the 20 is um, her other son. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who disappeared. Like, do you think he knows something or might have said something if, if it was pre, if it was pre the end of the next generation? Yeah. Like, if it was like season two, season three, um, you'd think Wesley would go, hey, mom. Well, you know, my brother, who we don't talk about, oops, um, just because he was an annoying character sometimes. Like, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, people. Yeah, before, anyone, before anyone writes in, I love Wesley Crusher and I love Will Wheaton. Shut up, Wesley. Yes. I mean, <laughs> shut up, Chris. <laughs> uh, but then again, maybe she just didn't want Jack to be treated like Wesley Crusher. You know, he was, he, he was an ensign on board a spaceship for most of his life and That's she had true. to travel the galaxy with him because... Her, his father was dead, right? So maybe she didn't want the offspring of Jean-Luc Picard to be treated in a similar way and, and uh, hit him out. We will only know this as the story for the season goes on, but it is really intriguing. You know, the last uh, season all dealt with uh, Picard having no legacy, having no loving relationship because of what happened to uh, to his mother in the past So um, and because of his history. So this season seems to be dealing with Potentially his offspring. So, yeah. um, yeah. so it, it's, a, it's a really intriguing setup for the I mean, season. wait till his son realizes his father's a robot or an android. That was called out in this episode, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah they even, they, they are not hiding it at least. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Like he's, he's only alive because he, he is a very high level, uh, android. Yeah. That you're not able to tell the difference at all. Exactly. Between him and, a, and an android, he's aging at the same rate, roughly, as uh, he would have aged anyway. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so they don't have to do anything, but it is called out here, his synthetic skin, I think, is, yeah. is the words they use. So, yeah. And uh, as well, it doesn't prevent uh, Picard from doing some damn fine eye acting. Because mm-hmm. I have to say, I thought that was... Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that scene, just the... It's just that eye contact mm-hmm. and the knowing look, I guess, from Beverly to Picard yeah. and it's his you reaction. You already know this, yeah. You know, it was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I think in terms of where this may have happened, I think it's towards the end, 
of his time on Enterprise and that 20 year gap, oh. I would kind of be thinking as well. Mm-hmm. A bit like Chris. Um, but yeah. I'm open to her keeping a secret son. There you go. You know, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. I guess. Let's see. I guess we'll find out as the season goes on. As I mentioned, uh, anything else? Any other notes, points, or uh, anything you want to talk about on this episode? Nothing for myself. Uh, I've just one line from uh, Captain Shaw uh, as he realizes that there are four uh, people to bring on board the Titan mm. after he's interrupted the tractor beam. Where he goes, well, we might as well. As we're a hotel now. Um, so <laughs> I, like I kind of like that. Yeah, I like that as well. So let's see what we all thought overall. Chris, what did you think of Star Trek Picard? Episode 2, Disengage. Uh, I'm quite positive on it. Um, again, I'm, I'm really enjoying the overall um, the overall storyline, where it's taking us, how characters are getting introduced. The, the thing that we guessed and the things that we have guessed are coming to fruition, but in a, in a way that I was like, yeah, I'm down to continue where the, 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 these road is going. Mm-hmm. So overall, I'm really, I'm pretty positive on it. Excellent. Um, yeah. So definitely, uh, definitely something to watch and looking forward to episode three. Yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying it as well. I love that they introduced Beverly in the first episode, Worf this episode, and exciting action sequences. That's quite cool, isn't yeah. it? And we have kind of the overarching, because Riker obviously was in last season with Picard, so we don't have to reintroduce him. So uh, I wonder will we get an action sequence with each member of the uh, former Next Generation cast coming in That'd be cool. each episode. Do you think we'll get Miles O'Brien? I know Miles uh, did move off to Deep Space Nine, but he was the engineer on on, uh, Next Generation for like five or six seasons. Do you think he'll appear at some point, Calamini uh, arriving aboard the the USS Titan at some point? Since everybody else is coming back from Next Generation, would it really be the same if we didn't get uh, Miles O'Brien coming back? That's true. I hadn't thought about Miles O'Brien, and yeah. it would be great to have him. Yeah, he's probably, he's probably better known from DS Nine, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that you called out potentially getting Bashir and stuff, I'm like, mm. oh, yeah, yeah, that would be if cool. If you could throw in just towards the end of the season, just throw in a few DS Nine characters, just throw a bit in of Tasha, a, but like give us a bit of Tasha from like the Next Generation, yeah, um, yeah. just like as a ghost, a Force ghost. Externally, I will say. It's unlikely we'll get Tasha yeah, Yar back because she specifically called out she wasn't even invited to the premiere of this show. So I'm oh, not okay. very happy about it because she normally is invited to those uh, those type of events. So not very happy that she wasn't invited. So uh, I don't Uh-oh. think we're going to see Tasha Yar coming back, unfortunately. That's okay, well, then not that one. But all yeah. the others. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. Give us all the others. <laughs> Good stuff. Yes, but overall, really enjoyed this episode. Really enjoyed the season so far, and uh, I think they're delivering on uh, so far two episodes in at least. They're delivering on the on the central premise of getting all the characters we love back together. Yeah, happy yourself, John. I don't think I've got too much more to say um, from what you've said. I would give this four. Ooh, chase me, chase me uh, out of five. Um, that's that's what the Tyson says when it's running into the nebula. I like it. Ooh, like chase it. me, chase me. Strike. Or, or, or fire all your weapons at me, Strike. Yes. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. So uh, I, I'm really enjoying this. I think mm-hmm. you know, I'm absolutely loving seeing Wolf come back, Beverly. Can't wait for Georgie to come back in here. You've got Riker and so on. Like you were saying, I think as well at the moment, what I really like, because even Seven of Nine, you know, like her, what she says to um, to Shaw about, you know, 
you're the hero who saves heroes or you kill off legends. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like the fact that you have the counterpoint of Shaw being disrespectful or, you know, or not um, standing on ceremony with them. I just think that's really good. And it's the same with Jack Crusher. Those counterpoints of Mm. not standing on the ceremony of their legend, Renus, um, (laughs) is, is really, really, good yeah. i think yeah and that's what's making it because it could have been just some kind of deep space loving absolutely maybe on deep space nine um you know <laughs> which i'm glad because they've not gone that way mm-hmm. despite all the nostalgia in, in, in the trailers so yeah, yeah i'd give this four. Ooh, chase me chase me <laughs> said the titan to the shrike i love it out of five I love it. <laughs> <laughs> is that really a score but yes it is but i have one ask for episode three episode one ended on the cliffhanger of jack saying i'm beverly crush's son Episode two ended on the cliffhanger of Picard going, oh, he's my son too. Um, Hopefully episode three doesn't end on the cliffhanger of, and I'm Wesley Crusher's brother. Yeah, we get it. Okay. You're part <laughs> of the Crusher family. Okay. Uh, hopefully there will not be that type of cliffhanger in episode three. Oh, it'd be the Russian yeah. dolls of Beverly's sons. <laughs> and this is Riker's son. <laughs> oh my God. That would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. And like, and here's your son and here's another son. Or just clones. There's clones and loads and loads of clones. It would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that reveal, I think we need to go and uh, and celebrate the yes. uh, the birth of uh, of Jack Crusher. It might be twenty or thirty years later. Um, but let's go on to ten forward. Um, yes. and Wet have his a drink. head. Yes, belatedly. Mm-hmm. Yes, fellow Trekkies and quizzers, welcome to Ten Forward and the pub quiz for episode two. Mm-hmm. Here with question two is me. <laughs> uh, what is the name of the drug that Sneed makes Raffi take to prove that she is not Starfleet? Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't even write that down in my notes. Yeah, space coke. <laughs> <laughs> in your eyes, Chris? Yeah. Well, when you said the need for speed, I was thinking, oh, okay, earlier on. Yeah. Um, I like it. Yes. Um, do you want to get the question one more time, John? Certainly. Uh, question two, what is the name of the drug that Sneed makes Raffi take to prove that she is not Starfleet? Good stuff. Question one and two are both available over on our website at tvpodcastindustry.com. Go check it out. It's an excuse to go over and have a look at the nice new website. Just click on the quiz button right at the top and you'll get all the questions for the Last of Us pub quiz and the Picard podcast 10 forward pub quiz as well. And of course, if you want to enter, you can send in your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com at the end of the series. Uh, or you can send them in after each and every episode as you wish, where you will be put into the grand 10 forward pub quiz, Tom Bowler draw mm-hmm. uh, for uh, some Star Trek Picard prizes. Absolutely. Get entering. Make it so. Good stuff. So should we jump into some feedback for episode one and episode two? Excellent. Yes, let's head on over for some feedback. Our first piece of feedback comes in on Facebook on episode one from Victor Von Doom, who says, Nice to see the final season off to an exciting start. Looking forward to Beverly's 20-year backstory. Is Rafi actually Starfleet intelligence or a civilian operative? The Titans captain is a real jerk. I have a feeling Seven will wind up running circles around him. (laughs) hopefully victory you've seen that shaw has a nice side to him as well this episode it must be really difficult if you've gotten your way all the way up to rank of captain and then some 
legendary captain walks aboard or some legendary admiral walks on board and goes, give me control of your ship. It must be really difficult to keep control of your little universe that you're supposed to be in control of. So I kind of see why he pushed back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, it's kind of getting the elbows out. Exactly. Um, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Victor. Yes. Thank you, Victor. The next piece of feedback comes from Heather Wallace, who had this to say. Wow. 30 seconds in and it's already the best Beverly Crusher story in the entire run of Next Gen. <laughs> Certainly better than the one where she was hooking up with a space ghost that has also hooked up with her nana. I'd love to see where that kid is. That was a terrible episode. <laughs> That's though. the other Russian doll. <laughs> exactly. Heather went on to say the name of Beverly's ship is the Ilios. It's another name for Troy, and she's been gone for 20 years. The same amount of time Odysseus was gone from Ithaca when he went to fight the Trojan War. Not sure if that's foreshadowing something to do with her son. Ooh, look at you, Heather. I bet you're very happy with what you're guessing right now. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of see where you're going with it. Um, um, yes, again, we will see where it's going and where it's going in the future, but that's a, that's a really interesting theory that you've got there, Heather. Yeah, definitely good stuff, Heather. Thank you for your theories. Keep them coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also got some feedback from Dr. Bob Phillips, who says, this feels so much better than season two. Held my attention, has me questioning what is really going on and having tiny cracks in my cold stone heart for the lovely Elven lady being dumped for a boys' weekend <laughs> once again. Jean-Luc Picard, when will you grow up and just get someone else to do the rescuing? Mm. <laughs> New Titan captain marked as a baden by A, doing spreadsheets over the armor guard, and B, making seven use the name he prefers, and C, deleting the bebop. <laughs> uh, well, very good, Dr. Bob Phillips. I think... A, I would probably be doing spreadsheets over the honor guard, maybe. <laughs> um, B, no, I wouldn't do that. C, I would delete the B-pops yeah. as well, to be honest. So it's two out of three. Yeah. It might be why I'm a little closet fan of uh, Captain Shaw. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, thanks, Dr. Bob. Glad you enjoyed the episodes as well. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of the season too. Uh, Joe Herbert says, I didn't love us. Really seems like they could have come up with a better start to the season than a feeble plan to commandeer a Starfleet ship and then steal a shuttle. How are they going to get back afterwards? Are there no other ships around? Was Rios the only private ship for hire? Even if they aren't smart enough to figure something out, I'm sure Laris could have gotten them a ship. Once they went with that, the other weaknesses bothered me more than they might have, and it makes me worried about the writing of the rest of the season. Interesting, Joe. That is interesting, Joe. I have to say... And whether it's just, again, the nostalgia mm. element or whatever, but I do know where you're coming from with this. Um, I didn't as such say anything on last week's podcast. I just kind of rolled with it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't affect my enjoyment of the episode, but I did think well, this always happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is the, the mode of uh, operation for sneakily getting to somewhere where they need to go. Yeah. I, I, you know, so... I think uh, I can definitely see where you're coming from, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, I'm hoping this one has helped, at least episode two has helped you kind of allay some fears about the writing. Um, Some of it's written on the wall. Like, honestly, some of it you can, it's so, so much signposted, we all guessed it. I think it's the, it's the, 
very much the destination of each of those plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you know it is how they get there. It's the journey, if you will. The well, journey exactly. to boldly go where a lot of other shows have gone before, but at least in a narrative perspective. But who knows? It could be different. It could yeah. be unique. It's an interesting point, though, uh, that you make, Joe. If they'd reached out to somebody else to get a ship that isn't a Starfleet ship like they did with Rios in Season 1, wouldn't that be repeating what they did in Season 1? <laughs> exactly. So actually them going and commandeering a USS Starship, that's different, right? <laughs> that is a different story for Picard because they haven't done that before. But they, of course, did that in, in the movies before and they have done it in, in uh, some of the Star Trek shows before. Yeah. But, but I, I kind of like the idea just because of the conceit, it gives them a way to make sure that Seven's involved in the show. Yeah, If you go with the narrative, you get the awesome view of the titan you know obviously captain riker's former command all that stuff is is what plays into it but yeah it it absolutely is something that has been done before but um but i think this whole series is based on nostalgia and based on them uh doing things that they have done before because hey we all want to see one final adventure with this cast right yeah and you know they're going to get on the new Enterprise, whatever that class of ship it is now, or whatever, they will get the USS Enterprise one time. 100%. We've already yeah. seen it named. Uh, it's coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Uh, next up, Jamie Lawton had this to say, we finally see the USS Titan, but not the one from the novels and Lower Decks, which was one commanded by Riker and, and a lunar class ship. Also, like Picard's flat cap he wears to go to the bar made me think of that Yorkshire tea advert <laughs> that Patrick Stewart is in here in the UK. And we're having a pint of the Dogman trumpet after work. <laughs> Apparently, there's a tab behind the bar. Love that ad. Is his line. Yeah, absolutely love that ad. It's a really good fun ad. Yeah. Um, because it's it's the most epic send off for somebody at the end of their uh, at the end of their working week, having Picard announce, "Let's go to the pub." Uh, fantastic, <laughs> good stuff. Um, in regards to whether the, the USS Titan is the same ship, um, it is the same ship commanded by Riker. Okay, we have seen it before. It's in novels. We've seen it in Lower Decks when uh, when Will Riker appeared in Lower Decks. They start out the season with the fact that it's being refitted, okay? The way that works in this universe, in the Star Trek universe, is a refit can really be anything from changing the class of the ship to changing the interior decoration, yeah? I think a lot of people seem to think it's just the interior decoration that changes, but it has happened before. Classes of ships have changed, and the uh, it's still the same ship. Do you remember the big statement from Vision on, uh, on WandaVision, where he talks about, you know, is it still the same ship if you change all the parts of it over many years? Oh, yeah. Yeah? That's basically what the USS Titan is. It's still the same ship, but not necessarily all the same parts in the same order. <laughs> that's yes. basically what they're saying, at least. Uh, I think we can go with it. That's that's uh, what they've said. They're specifically calling out that uh, Riker had his jazz removed from the internal data banks by uh, by Shaw, the new captain. So this was Riker's ship that is, uh, that is being featured here. But yeah. is it, though? <laughs> what is it? That is the question, I guess. Exactly. That's the question from Vision. I believe it is. And how many times have we seen the Enterprise destroyed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only to be re- remade anew, but it was still Picard's. But they usually add a letter to those, Chris, in universe. They usually add a letter to those. So you have an Enterprise A, B, C, and all the way through the alphabet. Uh, we haven't got to, gotten to uh, Enterprise Z yet. So, uh, so Z, there are still enough the, letters in the alphabet, yeah. as they said before. It will be Enterprise-y. Yeah. So you get it? It would be it, Enterprise-y. It's Enterprise-y. Exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, thank you so much for the feedback. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Uh, William Walton says, I discovered a piece of interesting trivia. The woman depicted in the Red Lady statue was the captain of the Enterprise C. Yes. Good stuff. Yes. Good spot there, William. Yeah, that was uh, Rachel Garrett. Nice. Yeah. So good uh, good spot, William, uh, for... I didn't actually know that myself. So, uh, yeah, good spot. Finally, we have some feedback on episode two from Matt Murdock, who says... It was a little too obvious to call the end of episode two of Picard any kind of stunning reveal, <laughs> but hats off to Gates and Sir Patrick for making the moment between without even saying a word. One of the most epic Star Trek moments ever. Mm. And wow, Amanda Plummer was amazing. Yeah, I completely agree with you here, uh, Matt. I probably even undersold it. I do think that moment between Gates McFadden and uh, Sir Patrick Stewart was just quite momentous. It mm-hmm. was it just, as I say, the unknowing look, but it just really delivered yeah. perfectly by two really good actors here. And mm-hmm. um, so, my moment of the episode, yeah, yep. really good. Yep. And I think Amanda Plummer as well. I mean, I actually didn't recognise her from being from Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. to begin with, but I absolutely loved just her cadence and delivery mm. of this captain because it was almost like a as I say, it was like why on, on for the um synopsis at the end I said, you know, she can finally use her toys aboard mm-hmm. the strike. It she's almost like a giddy child in a sense. Yeah. Um because she of the supreme confidence in knowing to some degree, she's got the upper hand, at mm-hmm. least in terms of the ship. Um, and I, I love that, you know, supremely confident, just playing it almost gizzily. Uh, and I really thought it was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a great addition to the show as a, as a villain for this uh, for this couple of episodes. So looking forward to seeing more of it next week. Great stuff. Thanks so much for that, Matt. And uh, here's a bit more feedback from Matt. And we have a voicemail in all about his thoughts on one of the central musical themes from Picard Season 3, Episode 1. Hello, TV Podcast Industries crew. Matt here again. I've got some musical comments regarding Picard. Season 3, Episode 1. I actually just saw this episode today, the 21st of February. I hadn't gotten around to it yet. And to be honest, I haven't even listened to your guys' breakdown of it yet. But I plan on doing that just as soon as I get done with this. I just wanted to comment, obviously... Mr. Rousseau is not composing the main series this time around. He did provide the title card music. It's nice. Don't really want to talk about it. I want to talk about something that Stephen Barton, the new composer, did a couple of times in this episode. He introduced a theme that I think is a theme for maybe Picard and Riker, but it was used in two places where it's kind of hard to tell because one of them was where Titan was departing the Starbase, and the other one was when Picard and Riker were departing the Titan. And to be honest, it uses a lot of musical tropes that many composers have used throughout the years, but it still functions to serve the purpose that it does. And I want to start with just what the theme sounds like. It basically goes through a major chord to its minor five. Mm-hmm. 
pretty simplistic, but effective in the way that the shape of the melody starts to dip down, then reaches way back up, then comes back to a center. It's an indication of adventure. And it can be interpreted as triumphant as well because of that shape. And that's why it feels triumphant and a little wondrous when Titan is launching from the starbase and why it feels a little triumphant as Riker and Picard get away. But the main thing I want to talk about is in the first sequence and the way that it is dressed up, because that's where a lot of the musical tropes come in. First of all, the melody, there's a little figure right at the beginning of it that incorporates notes that typically aren't part of the scale. Well, one of them is. The other one is not. It's the first note of that little melody figure that incorporates the sharp four. That creates what we call the Lydian mode. Anyway, I'm talking about this. And the note that doesn't fit the chord is this. And the use of that note, because it is an exact symmetry to where the root is, it's the exact number of spaces between where the root of the key is on either side. Six half steps. We don't like symmetry in our harmony for whatever reason but there are ways that we can dress it up as barton did here that makes it seem not unpleasant just kind of weird now if i take that same note and i place it in the e diminished chord then it sounds ominous like this but only one of those other notes that are in that chord actually fit the major scale however if i take the lydian mode meaning that i'm actually taking a b scale but I'm using E as the center, the fourth step, that's what Lydian is based on, then it almost kind of adds a wondrous feel to it. Notice if I play the E major chord with that same note, it still doesn't feel quite right, but it doesn't feel unpleasant. It just feels kind of, ooh. So what is Barton trying to do here? He's trying to make us feel the wonder of it. Is it the wonder for Will and Riker if this is a Will and Riker theme? Maybe. Is it the wonder for us to see this great new ship that we've never seen before go out into space? Probably. Because that's what a Lydian scale does. It feels weird, but what it does is it almost feels like it expands the major chord to include something bigger. And that's what creates this feeling of wonder and awe. And it's re-emphasized in the melody by horn harmonies that are played against it as well. You'll hear not just in that melody figure, but you'll also hear it in the harmony as the melody is stated the second time. Again, this is nothing new. Composers have been using Lydian mode for a long time. But isn't it interesting how, no matter how time passes, our human ears still perceive the way harmonies work together in the same way, and we still interpret them pretty much in the same way. And there's two other real quick things that I want to talk about here. During the statement of that melody, there's also some typical, what I call musical tropes. One of them is the arpeggiation of an augmented chord, which feels major, but also feels weird. And that's because rather than the top note being put, put down a half step, it's raised up a half step. And that creates symmetry of four spaces apart evenly also. But because it does have what we perceive as two major intervals in it, it doesn't feel quite as harsh. 
And a lot of composers have used this to create that sense of wonder as well. A combination of augmented and Lydian tends to do that. And how do they do it? They typically use high woodwinds and they have them arpeggiate that augmented chord like this. And in that theme, you can definitely hear that going on. Finally, one of the biggest musical tropes, and not the first time in the Star Trek universe that this has been used, is the Neapolitan chord. What the Neapolitan chord is, is it's a chord that sits a half step, one step away from the root key. It occurs in Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. It occurs in John Williams's Raiders March from Raiders in the Lost Ark. And the precedent for it in the Star Trek universe, the ending of the Star Trek film that Michael Giacchino scored. And all it does is it takes this flat second, this Neapolitan chord, when it modulates to the five chord, it takes something that feels uncentered and then makes it very centered. The movement is a tritone. Again, the same interval that I've been exploring this whole time. But that interval exists between two different notes that gives us this feeling of like, oh, it needs to resolve somewhere to, oh, it's resolving somewhere. And that occurs at the end of this theme. It sounds like this. So there you go. I know I've been super long. I apologize for taking up so much of the podcast time. If this even makes it, I don't know. You guys may want to just cut it because it's too long. At any rate, thanks for doing the podcast on this. I will listen. I promise I will try to contribute musically when I can in the future. Really dug the episode. Take care. Fantastic as always, Matt. That's great to hear uh, your thoughts about the music. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Matt, for, for that. Really sort of deep dive into um what you were describing as Jean-Luc and, and Riker's uh, theme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if it is, but it, it it's useful where it comes in in the episode. So let's see in episode two whether there's similar type of thing. Mm-hmm. I um I, I'd have to go back and watch it effectively. Yeah. But um also just to touch on your point, I certainly miss the old theme to Picard uh, as well. With that, um, yeah. Yet there's a, certainly a, a bubbling of nostalgia with the sort of nod to the next generation's mm. uh, tunes. But uh, I thought Picard's theme was really, really good. So good. I had to go back and watch uh, one of the episodes from Picard just to catch the theme again because I loved it so much. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I, I'm going to jump in and say, like, one of the things I love about your feedback is always... There's parts I just never thought about. Mm-hmm. And again, this, a certain theme song or an opening usually rings true, but sometimes I completely miss the, 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 the in episode scores and moments. So again, hearing you break it down is, is fantastic. Um, I was actually also just saying to Derek and John before while we we're off air, it was like, I do miss the season one opening of Picard. It's now ingrained as a very much a a staple in the Star Trek universe for me, very much like the next generation. Mm. Um, it's just there or the discovery one. So not hearing it here or hearing this very different variation now in season three, I'm like, Oh, I kind of just, it's there somewhat. So I'm assuming they may kind of maybe sprinkle it in maybe. Uh, later, later in the season. Yeah. Um, 
I kind of get the feeling because this is the final season of Picard and because they're calling the episodes part one, part two, it's not. It feels like they're kind of going, okay, we got, we, we tried something. You didn't like season one and two. Come back to season three. It's like the next generation again. <laughs> We're bringing back all the characters you like. Yeah. We're bringing back the theme. Don't worry about that story. Rafi, we'll, we'll get you up to speed with her as the season goes on. Um, yeah. But but don't worry. You Come and join us. Have some nostalgic fun with your old friends. Here's the theme you liked beforehand. But you're right, Chris, as we said as well. Yeah, we, we're all missing that theme yeah. from Picard. Great stuff. So, yeah, thanks so much, Matt, for your thoughts. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get some more uh, musical feedback towards the end of the season. Hope you've been enjoying the podcast, too. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, fellow Trekkies, for all that feedback. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. And thank you uh, so much for joining us. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it? with your friends, family, and Federation aliens. Uh, Because, of course, what is it, lads? Sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing sharing the love. love. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's uh, podcast. Again, loads of other stuff that we're covering as well. Wish, uh, the Last of Us, uh, episode seven will be out next week. Um, the Bad Batch, episode 11 of, of 15, I think, is out next week as well. And of course, we'll be back next week with Star Trek Picard season three, episode three, 17 seconds. Mm. Yes. And it will be only 1,568 million seconds from now. Da, da, da. Don't 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 <laughs> quote me on the the facts there. It depends on when you're listening to the podcast, yeah. uh, fellow Trekkies. It could be exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to speak to you again soon. Yes, bye bye, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. Can't wait to speak to you next time. Uh, all about episode three. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, keep watching, keep listening, and keep trekking. Bye. Bye. <laughs>